the subject for the evening talk is the Western Sangha. If um, one has uh, engaged in any r r reading, both of the early uh, sutras, that means the, the actual uh, talks of the Buddha, and of the um, political, social, economic reality of two and a half thousand years ago, one is rather, um, I feel, inclined to get a somewhat different view of what the Sangha was, or what it consisted of to, at that period, at two and a half thousand years ago. I would even go so far as to say, from my reading, um, that there was actually no monks and nuns, which is enough to give my monks and nuns friends grey hairs. Um, but since they're shaven-headed, anyway. <laughs> so, and rather, the concept which was concept which was used um, was called bhikshu, or bhikkhu in the Pali, and bhikkhuni, and the literal translation of this, literally translation, I is beggar. Um, but in the Pali meaning and in its implication, it is those people in life who lead what we might describe as a homeless way of living, who are not particularly involved or focused specifically in the nuclear family concept, or as in India, the extended family concept. And it seems from one's reading, too, that these men and women who um, committed themselves to practice and to uh, inquiry didn't wear any particular clothes in terms of uh, any robes. And they, it is said that the dress that they wore was simply the material that they got hold of, that, w that was given to them. So in other words, there was a message there, and I think rather an important one, um, initially a message of real simplicity, a genuine simplicity in one's life. And this simplicity was referred to as renunciation. Renunciation or in our, the language that you and I have been using here over the days, of learning to let go. And in that, it made, in a way, the whole mind-body-consciousness a more suitable, more eminently suitable vehicle for inquiry and observation. What occurred in the course of time was that there gradually grew about, I would say, a certain form and structure which got established and that even some of the guidelines for a certain simplicity of life and a simplicity of outlook became fixed rules and regulations. And so gradually the form got established. The shaved heads, the, the robes, the, the, the monasteries, the 227 uh, precepts, etc., etc., and the, all the influences of that. And that certainly, I feel, has a usefulness and, uh, and a value. A usefulness and a value insofar as there are men and 
women who wish to participate in the religious life, um, in the monk and the way of being a monk or a nun. And if I do feel it's essential and valuable that such you know, facilities, shall we say, are, are available. But, however, in our going from, from the uh, East to the West, I feel that there's an opportunity for us as the, as the Western Sangha to draw upon the East in terms of what's truly best and useful, as it were, transplant it from the East into the West and to have the freedom and this essential factor so frequently spoken of in Buddhism, this discriminating or discerning wisdom to take what is useful and beneficial and obviously applicable and to renounce, to let go, to forget, in fact, you know, what doesn't meet, doesn't meet the social reality which you and I participate in every day. Now, in that movement which is taking place from, from the East to, to the West, we, ha we see that there are various traditions being established and the necessity of that. And one of the values of the traditions is, I feel, that it does offer people who are inquiring into life a reasonable degree of diversity. In other words, there is the opportunity and the freedom, so important here, the opportunity and the freedom to draw upon the strengths of varying practices and varying traditions. And it's just rather so often the rather narrow, somewhat petty outlook of mind which we observe where the individual clings to one thing specifically and makes it the be-all and end-all. And, and, and one has noticed or I've, for quite some time in that we pass enough which we call it, we pass on our dharma, we pass on our um, practice, for, for quite some time was considered kind of the poor cousin of the traditions. That, and there is still this tendency, a peculiar tendency, to identify it as being um, in um, Buddhism as the kind of uh, Hinayana practice. You know, and Hinayana practice means the practice for the small mind. And... And, and therefore, after one done the, had engaged in these kind of pr you know, basic, simple vipassana practice, you know, had a, a few sniffs of one's breath and uh, a, quick <laughs> a quick look on, at the body, then after that one was ready for the r real thing, wh whatever it might be. And, th and, and this... <laughs> Do you think I stated it too simply? <laughs> <laughs> And, and also, as um, Jack, Jack Cornfield um, po pointed out, that uh, in, in the uh, West, and certainly as it were, what we might call generation, first generation, of uh, Dharma teachers, we, uh, we using Vipassana practice as something of a major theme, that it is Westerners who are primarily teaching in the West. Unlike at the moment, several of the other traditions where it's quite a number of our Asian brothers and sisters. And perhaps one of the values that we have, one of the great values that we have here, is that we're being brought up in a Western society, being all too familiar 
with the Western society, there's a certain uh, resonance which we have from our own um, experience. And one of the other things which too, I think, accompanies uh, uh, in terms of the Western Sangha and at this point with regard to the teachers is that we are also very much aware um, and I can speak you know, for the teachers that I know, about a dozen teachers, um, of the necessity, the vital urgency, in fact, of sustaining and continuing our practice. Because it's very, very easily, easy in this kind of role to be speaking and to be speaking you know, so regularly and forget one's practice and in fact simply be resorting to the past, to what one had understood some time before. And this is, has brought about a number of uh, um, cases for uh, Asians and uh, Westerners and some of the traditions, a forgetfulness of the practice. And it's a real delight and joy to see the uh, teachers, just as Joseph, Joseph Goldstein, who has just um, come back a couple of uh, days ago, and uh, Sharon, who have made, um, along with Jack, um, such a valuable and substantial contribution, contribution to the establishing of Vipassana practice in, here in, in, in the States and elsewhere. Um, so Sharon and um, Joseph just spending these past few months uh, in Burma you know, and continuing in their, in their practice. And, and Jamie, too, um, in... Uh, spending the three-month retreats, you know, at um, Barry and so forth. And I think all, all of this, engaging in one's practice and creating time for that, keeps us as people and as teachers in the mode of practice. Sometimes through retreats, or sometimes focusing on areas of our life where we realize our practice has to go. You know, and, I, and in saying that, I, um, I realize that for some time now that my practice has been as a householder. This is, this is, at the moment, my practice. You know, practice is what's difficult. And I, rem I remember... <laughs> <laughs> I, rem I remember when I was a monk in my more um, um, idealistic uh, days, and I always remember saying to a, fr a fellow m uh, monk, Vajiro, um, now um, dis disrobed, I always remember, he, d he, he got back, incidentally, he got back to England and in his robes, and he knocked on the front door of my parents' house to find out where I was, about 11, 11.30 at night. And my mother likes to ha have um, students in for holidays where they learn English in the house. And one of the German students answered the front door, and she went to the living room where my mother and father was, and she said, there's a man at the door, he's got no hair on, and he's dressed up in curtains. <laughs> 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 to, to, to which my mother replied, oh, that's one of Christopher's friends. <laughs> <laughs> and it <laughs> so I remember when I, when, I, when I was a monk, I said to um, Vajiro, I said to him, um, I tell you what, if I, if I ever, this was a time when I didn't know what the future was going to be, I said, if I ever dis, di, disrobe, I said, there are th three things which I shall not do. 
The first is, I shall not get into a relationship. The second is, I shall not live in a suburban street. And the third is, I shall not become a parent. These, these, these three. <laughs> so, like Einstein has said, and perhaps we've all experienced this, if you throw a stone hard enough that way, it comes round and it... And it <laughs> so, <laughs> now being living in a suburban street, being in a relationship and having uh, a little girl, Nashona, who's... Nashona uh, is American Indian, by the way, it means a spring. Having um, and this uh, little girl of uh, four years of age, I realized that this is where you know, my focus and, uh, and my practice is in l um, learning to live in that way of life. And, um, and it, um, perhaps by some standards, I've started rather late, just in the last year or two. But, uh, so the practice takes, as I say, different forms for us as we are in, actually, the Western, um, uh, life and having some connection through our practice with the Western Sangha. And one of the very important things in this connection and communication I, I do, do feel is that, again, with us as teachers who are making a, a small contribution to establishing the practice, that there is um, an abiding state of friendship and particularly important of, of, um, of informality a certain informality and connectedness with each other so that we move away from this the model the model which creates a gap and a division of an I of an image of separation and that our practice and our breathing and our meditations and our ob observations are such that as teachers we can freely receive through countless forms and ways and means feedback things can be pointed out, that we live our life hopefully as much <coughs> as part and connected with the Western Sangha and not in any way whatsoever aloof from it um, and from the everyday life problems. And I feel that this is very important for us because it's all too easy in any teacher role and especially any religious teaching role to be actually in some, end up in some ivory tower quite alienated from the mainstream of life and preaching a philosophy which is not really at grassroots level. And the only way that we can know the difficulties and the problems and so of, of life is keeping as teachers or facilitators our feet firmly on the ground so that we know the push and pulls of, of life. So part, I feel an essential feature of the Western uh, Dharma and of, of the Sangha is this abiding informality that we look upon our relationship as a relationship of friends, sharing, being together with different roles, different functions. You know, I mean, for example, if, you know, if, I, if I was downstairs during this week in, in, in the kitchen, you know, it, would have been, it would either have been like a fast here or it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, I hope soon that I'll be able to take some cooking lessons from my daughter or something. Anyway, <laughs> so, th there's, so, this, so we have our r r roles and functions, etc., etc. There is a respect and acknowledgement for them, and within the co context of what we're doing, we, w we work in a really a cooperative way. 
And I feel this sense of cooperation together is a, a vital aspect of the practice, and in fact, if I can touch upon it, it's a vital aspect with regard to what liberation means, which I'll try to come to. The other aspect, too, of, of this, of our working and sharing together, I got a very good reminder of it two days ago. Uh, I, I went to um, um, uh, Berkeley, because after um, Wimala, Wimala Tucker was here, and I'm sure you would uh, agree with me, her sensitivity and simplicity and her lucid, extraordinarily, unusually lucid presentation of the Dharma was a delight for everybody in this room, truly. And, it, and you know, for myself, you know, I, have a, I may say after the years in the East and, and so forth, I tend to have quite a critical faculty. And when uh, I listened to her, I had such a, a delight to listen to her. You know, from in early and first impressions, she is unusual. She is unusual. Make no mistake. From first impressions. And, and in the course of a meeting with her, a taped uh, me- meeting with her, you know, uh, we, um, dis- we discussed, she wrote up a number of points, and I just want to relate um, um, two or, th- or uh, three, three of them. One I asked her about, as she had mentioned, she sees so much of the neurotic, unsettled personality. And, she's, and I said to her, well, what is necessary to work with this, ki- when, when this personality is arising, what, what, what's necessary? And, uh, as she had pointed out to us, one thing is certainly observation, looking at, inquiring into, the urge to be free from, and, and letting go. And I said, but that may not be enough. You know, is that enough? Or, you know, is it, d- does it require more? You know. This is, is that enough sy- syndrome of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then she said, some very important reminder, and I, I had, a, again, something of a flashback to the days of, as a, a bhikkhu. She said, there has to be, even for that, a preparation. There's got to be a preparation in our lifestyle. It's no use taking the pains of the mind and the attachments of the mind and taking it and saying, I want to keep everything else as it is. I want to preserve everything else and just get rid of this. So she said, so therefore, if one really has this urge to be free, free of this pain and confusion and so, so forth, she says, there has to be preparation. So in order that the preparation brings about a, 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 a sensitivity to in that seeing. And she spoke specifically of, uh, of um, uh, making it a simplicity of living. She spoke of the importance of diet, I would say an extremely important um, um, area. And and one of the things which I've noticed here in this some in the, the state somewhat distinct from um, most of the other sanghas here that there is still I would say far too much eating of birds and animals among the sangha. I do feel that this really has to be looked at 
and, and it's often birds, animals, and fish. It's, in, and it doesn't serve any particularly significant physical use. It's just the question within our heart, you know, whether we are prepared to renounce it, to actually let this go. And one c it's no use falling back on the old text and saying, well, the monks ate meat, and saying, therefore, it's all, all right. Because in the beginnings of the tradition, the bhikkhus and the bhikkhunis did not, because India, and especially in the Sakya kingdom, in that northern part of India, with its inspiration of the Vedas and the Upanishads, it was vegetarian, as it still is pretty well all over India today. And I do, do feel that th this is that the eating of animals and birds, you know, is something to be looked at carefully. And, and often it's simply because it gives some pleasure. It doesn't serve any major nutritional use. So again, in, and as I so in, and in that, and in speaking with women, some of the things with regard to our relationship to, what is a certain simplifying which can take place, a simplifying in which we let go, perhaps, of some of the more predominant pursuits that we have. Not in order just to let go of, but in order that we can gain some deeper access to some other things in life which are not available to the greedy or aggressive mind, which act, when we identify and believe in them, as, as obstructions to discovery. And that, uh, that isn't easy. And I feel this is where the Western Sangha and the women and the men of Western Sangha coming out of an abiding friendship in a non-hierarchical structure and from a genuine foundation of real equality, something, as Wimler pointed out, s almost unheard of in spirituality almost unknown in spirituality, real equality at all levels. That we have an opportunity in the Dharma to actually establish that here in the West. And so giving support to each other, and as you know, as the Buddha would say and has said, you know, being willing to point out things to each other, being willing to give support to each other, being willing to say, let's look at this with each other. And and there's much which we can do together. Now, in, in this looking and this in um, uh, in this in this practice, to some degree or other, I must say, to some degree or other, I think one of the rather l things which I appreciate, and I'm sure you do, it's a practice in a way which is, has a certain kind of. Um, um, an individual aspect to it. There's no pressure on anyone to join an organization, to sign up, to become committed, and the teachers themselves, ourselves, really give encouragement to people to do other workshops, to do other kinds of retreats, to, to go into therapy. You know, it's, it's, not a, it's genuinely not a closed system. And because it's an open system, I would say it's healthy. Openness is always a healthy experience. And that is there be between us. But what 
And whereas that is a great value of it, something of the weakness, I would say, is that perhaps that because we haven't got a label and say we are this or whatever, because there's not um, a major organization or a proselytizing attitude in any way, that perhaps I would say, you know, if I may say, you know, I you know, travel Europe and India and Australia and uh, England and, and the States, I would say that there hasn't been quite the degree of cohesiveness and togetherness in an open and spacious way that there could be. And I feel that the West, as us, as people participating in the Western Sangha, in this respect have a long way to go. And I feel it's just at the beginning. I feel, for as an example of this, that children, and as a parent I become, of course, more sensitive to this, are not able to be included as much as I would like to see. There are, you know, Christina and I started the, um, the retreats in Barrie and in England for parents with children, and at the last one in Barrie there were 49 children there, and they had a good time. <laughs> Uh, and um, and that um, <laughs> that uh, there, you know, so that you know, that the sense that the the, the the children that they hear the word retreat, they hear about practice, you know, they don't, you know, think of it, you know, like some of us would think of of church, you know, you're just sitting there waiting for it to end, you know, you, <laughs> you know, the only time that one prayed in church was for praying it for it to be over with, you know? <laughs> and. And I, th and I think the, mo the feelings of children and, and connecting with them and connecting with the whole spectrum of people, that is being explored. And it's one of the joys which I experience, and I'm sure you do, that there is a, a greater uh, range of people and ages in the practice, Real, a greater spectrum. And that has been opening out as the, as the years have gone by. And one sees in that, you know, you know, like if I may say, like my mother said to, to me uh, uh, about a, a month ago, she said, do you know, she said, I'm 65. She said, it, it only seems like yesterday that I was 21. And more, more than 40 years have gone by. And she said, I look at my body, and she said, and I can see here's the body of an elderly woman, retired woman. But she says, inside myself, I don't feel any different from 21. It doesn't feel any difference at all. And again, so easily, as Jean referred to in the talk today, we can look at someone, and we look at the outside, and the image and the conclusion start running in immediately. And yet inside, a mind which is aware and sensitive to life doesn't know aging mind which is not trapped in its habits and is not mechanical doesn't know that process. And this so easily we can forget in life. So again with, with Sangha and our sense of solidarity and communication together there can be much a greater degree of this interconnectedness and giving support to each other. And I, th and I would feel, feel that we, this, there is such an opportunity here insofar as, as we saw today. It was such a, in, I've never known such a long session you know, <laughs> of three hours you know, of, of 
people sharing and, and, and communicating together and just you know, being touched with the heart again and again by people's stories, by their willingness to work with themselves, by their various commitment to life and others. So the resources that one felt in this room was so touching and the countless expressions of that. And again, that I feel too, because we see the difficulty on working ourselves to meet together, you know, for one's home in a way, one's apartment, to be, as it were, a peace centre, you know, to, to establish one's place there, to have people come round, to meet together. No, I feel not just to sit together and just have an hour sitting, that's, it's not enough again. It's much more being, being together, how can we support each other? What can we do for each other? How can we help each other uh, out? What skills do I have that I can help you in your life? What skills do you have that you can help me in my life, etc., etc.? And so that we, you know, from decorating to baby-minding to repairing a, a car to, to all countless things, there needs to be that kind of development, that kind of sharedness and the spirit of friendship in life. So that there's, there's so much potential which, which we have, so that we break out of this awful model in the West of isolation and all the despair and fear which is born out of isolation. And in, in that, one, and as you know, and we'll talk about it a little bit, little bit tomorrow, that, there's, that in recent years, or last year or two, there has been a growing discussion uh, amongst the, the Western Sangha here in um, California to establish a, a center, a retreat facility. Because the, the reality of it is that the degree of support you know, is, you know, is just tremendous. The, re the response, and Jamie, and uh, uh, Sharon, Joseph, uh, Jack, you know, giving retreats and at Yucca Valley, as a number of you know, it would be 100, 120, 150, 170 people coming to participate in a course, knowing principles on which it is run, that it's run as a, in a spirit of service as cooks and managers and staff and teachers endeavouring to provide a service. And all of that, is, I think people do genuinely ap appreciate and so from, often right from early April right through to into the middle of September, the retreats have been so full, 100, 150 at a time. And of course, rent is being paid for elsewhere, you know, and it might be nice to support the Catholic Church, but... <laughs> <laughs> but when so many thousands of, of dollars are being paid out, you know, and it seems, you know, the time and the energy and the focus is beginning to come together more and more, you know, to establish. Now that kind of work is tremendous undertaking, you know, to set up the organizational level, to form a board, to have contact with like-minded people, to find a site, to all the financial considerations. And that shouldn't be left, I feel, to, you know, a handful of people to, to, take, to take that. It's a, you know, it's a, a very major undertaking. And that, that needs, again, our, our support in whatever ways that we benefit from the practice, so that our spirit of service is saying, let's see what service we can provide. Perhaps 
it may be helpful and beneficial for other people. And I do feel in this, many of us have, in this spirit of openness, many, many kind of resources which would be much welcomed and, uh, and appreciated. And, and of course, always the constant que um, question is, uh, you know, of course, finance is always a, 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 ma a major one, and not an, and not an easy one. Money is never an easy one, and uh, comes up a lot of times for people on the retreats. And, the, you know, the situation is, you know, as I said to you, teachers and managers and staff are spending so much time, you know, in, in Dharma service, and say the staff, and, or giving so much time one retreat to another, and really that your generosity, what is called the dana, for them is really very, very much appreciated for all the hours inside these days and outside these days that are contributing to um, establishing the, these practices uh, here. You know. And, as I, and I, did, I did want to mention to you when you probably when you arrived here, and many of you came by car. I don't know if you noticed, as you arrived there, the little car parks there, did you see, as you put the cars in the respective car lots there, um, the little the sign there, used car lot? Did you <laughs> notice? No. Mm. <laughs> and the little sign which underneath it said IMW, did you see? No. Well, Stan would like to announce to you that um, he would like to thank you all. Um, all your cars have now been sold. <laughs> And we'll be going towards the um, <laughs> towards the fund and the teachers' Las Vegas holiday, etc., etc. Et <laughs> and and Stan did say that um, if you're willing to um, leave a 22 cent stamp behind, he will send you all a thank you card. <laughs> all right. So in the different ways which we um, finding s support and uh, and uh, share, sharing uh, sharing for for each other, it's it's part of it. I feel is finding the ways and means so that we integrate the practice and the harmony and the spirit of what we are participating here into the daily life situation. And this is the one which does come up with great frequency for people. And there's a real opportunity to, as it were, reduce actively through our awareness and shared and pooled experience together to reduce some of those divisions. Now, if, if I may give you a, a smaller example of what I, what I mean. In England, we, uh, about seven years, no, 1977, um, eight, years ag eight years ago, um, we formed a community, a small community in the countryside in Kent of about 20 people. And we lived in one house with three acres. And people um, practice, mostly Westerners from uh, New in India. And I spent, um, I stayed there for four years. And though we started different projects, the mental health center and a program of prison visiting and, and other activities, but we weren't making contact, I felt, with people. It just wasn't happening. We were kind of felt isolated. And our retreat house, which was a rented farmhouse house, was four hours' drive away. And so there was a, uh, a, a mileage distance. And so after four years, I said to the community, I and uh, Gwanwin and uh, uh, 
um, daughter, Shona, who was just um, three months old, that we were going to leave and that we were just going to go to the west of England and find something and start all over again. So we went, and we went through this town called Totnes, uh, uh, went through initially, and uh, somehow, just a small town, but I thought, this is the place, this is it. I just, something, I didn't know, I've never been to the place, but this is where it's going to be. And we, four of us, in fact, um, moved move there, and, and from that, then what happened after a, a, another year, 18 months, through the generosity of the um, donations which came uh, 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 in, we got a retreat house, and then a person in the town gave us a top of his house on an, on an estate for a community where we could put on workshops and uh, different programs. And then there must be probably a network of us of 70 to 100 Dharma friends living in and around this town with the retreat house, the, the smaller community and other projects underway. And, and it feels like, what I appreciate about it was something of a deep wish of mine for this to happen and it took, you know, if I, it took what, um, altogether about six years for this to uh, come together and many times I, I almost gave it up in England. I, many, many times and there's so many beautiful requests of why didn't you come and teach in the States? You know, we used to have retreats two or three years ago where, you'd, where, where a dozen people would register for the retreat. And he, I remember three years ago the retreat which was in March which I was giving, had to be cancelled because nobody registered for it. Um, so, you know, so I went through all this, you know, God, what the hell am I doing staying in this wretched country? In the, yeah, and anyway. <laughs> um, and so the kind of this, you know, doubt periods and, and uncertainty and then, and then it coming together. And ba basically the point I'm getting across here is that it was, a, that it's, an exploration that we're uh, engaged in to try to integrate it together in some way or other. And again, I feel within uh, the situation in, uh, in California that and the tremendous Sangha that is established in here that much support we can give to each other and give to the establishing of practice and, and center, centers so, so that the Dharma and the Sangha really meet together. And if, if in, in that, as, as I mentioned, I feel it has something to do with the heart's liberation, in the, in the way that we can become, and of course the Mahayana tradition has emphasized this and wisely pointed out, too, uh, somewhat too individualistic, I mean, rather too much concerned with our own liberation, and to some degree or other, one's own liberation is something from a Dharma standpoint, one might say almost a contradiction in terms. Almost a contradiction in terms. And therefore the seeing clear, seeing into the, um, into the Sangha at large, which requires a lot of letting go and giving up and simplicity and the awareness and observation and seeing through the to something to, of the seeing through some of the self structure not that we're trying to get get rid of the self structure if it's at all possible but that clear seeing in which the self 
structure is not so predominant. Not so predominant in terms of trying to transcend or trying to get rid of. And if we're not so much bound up, yet still engaged in our practice, then the heart of the Dharma can begin to come through more clearly and the Dharma must keep pointing its way towards freedom, towards liberation, towards emancipation. In such, and this is the marvel and the mystery of it, in such a way that liberation is not personal liberation. It's not me becoming liberated, me becoming enlightened. It's for liberation. It's for freedom. In such a way in life, in such an extraordinary way in life, it's not to make another free, and all that can go in. Not to make oneself free, and all that can go in that, but it's for freedom. It is to be free. And so, in that, to being free, to, be, to being liberated, it's not particularizing. It's not saying just for me, just for us, just for our group, or whatever. It's for freedom itself, in such a way that the heart can say, it's, we're all going to be free together or not at all. But it's not, it's not clear seeing to say, I just want to be free. And so the Sangha, the company of the like-minded people, those who have a love and an enthusiasm and a passion for liberation, that, that, that is brought forth inside, brought forth in, in all the ways that you and I can explore in life so that as extraordinary human being, Luther King says, Free, free, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. And this, we need each other. We need each other because we are each other, because we live with each other, we share with each other, our whole life is with each other. And therefore we don't have to concern ourselves with personal liberation. We're too big for that. And to see that clearly is truly liberating. May all beings be free. May the Sangha be connected. May liberation reign. Let's have three or four minute quiet period together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.